if you're trying to make any kind of meaningful, effective change in your life, well, you have come to the right place because that is what my expert guest and I are here to help you do. Welcome to We're Talking Shift. This is the podcast where all we do is talk shift because when we're stuck and need to rise to a challenge, make a health shift, a relationship or an emotional shift, well, the first thing we have to shift, my friends, is our thinking. That is the antidote to feeling stuck. I'm Lori Bischoff, and I'm so glad you're here. Now, let's get busy. Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another episode of We're Talking Shift. Today, we're going to go deep into what it means to be a next level human. Hmm. So my guest is the man who coined the phrase and is an expert on the subject. He is going to explain what a next level human is and the awareness and practices that we need to incorporate, well, into our lives really in order to become a next level human. So by the end of this episode, you will have another antidote to being stuck, a blueprint for how to shift and up level your life. So who is this next level human? Uh, Let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Jade Tita. Dr. Jade is an integrative physician holding a doctorate in naturopathic medicine, as well as a personal trainer with over 25 years of experience. He specializes in natural health, fitness, and body transformation. He is the author of Human 365 and the co-author of The Metabolic Effect Diet. He writes and lectures extensively and internationally on the subjects of lifestyle medicine, natural health, fitness, and weight loss to both healthcare professionals and the public. Dr. Tita has been a contributing expert on Lifetime TV, Fox News, On Fitness Magazine, Oxygen, The Huffington Post, Women's Health, Time Prevention, and NPR. Today, he's worked in person with over 10,000 people, helping them achieve their weight loss and health goals. And he's helped hundreds of thousands more at home uh, with at-home programs that he has created. I know he's got a bunch of other credentials under his hat too. um, So that's just the tip of the iceberg. But I'm really happy to have him with us here today. Dr. Jade, welcome. Lori, thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. I'm glad to have you. So I... um, you know, I really want to talk about your book. Um, as you can see, I have I've read it. I'm I'm a I'm a a post-it person, and plus it's like all full of highlights. So almost the whole thing is yellow. I love it. Um, there's a lot in your book that I um, that resonated with me, and and is very similar to some of the messages that I put out in my own book um, about ten years ago. So we are definitely of the same mindset in so many areas. So I want to get into that. Um, but first, one of the things that I did notice when I was reading up about you a little bit, um, looking through your website, was the fact that you are also. Uh, really an expert in female metabolism, which I thought was super interesting. And so before we get into the book, I just kind of wanted to get a little bit about, you know, why and how did that come about? Yeah, well, it's the weirdest thing, right? Because for those of you who are watching me on video, I obviously am a big uh, muscle bound looking guy. And so it's funny to have a masculine sort of a presence be, uh, you know, sort of an expert in female metabolism, but it really kind of happened as a lot of things do in life a little bit by accident. So 
Um, I was personal training all through undergrad, even before I went to medical school. And most of the clients I was working with were female. And it, it's embarrassing to say now, but um, as a young as a young man, I was a little bit, uh, maybe a lot, ignorant and arrogant, and just thought that hey, you know, men and women were the same. We eat the same things. We train the same way. And you know, yeah. if you're not getting results, then um, you know, essentially, you're not, you know, doing what I'm telling you to do. And I was sort of grabbed, kicking and screaming by my female clients to understand uh, that there was a big difference. And actually, I'll tell you a funny story. I was training this one woman who was probably at the time I was in my early 20s, maybe she was maybe in her mid 40s. And I was, you know, just beating her up, putting her through a really grueling workout. And she basically broke down and just went off on me. And essentially it was just like, you know, I, I don't know what you're doing. I'm not a man. I'm not a bodybuilder. I am a woman. You don't even if how can you help me if you don't understand? me? And it really kind of shook me up. Right. Because yeah. you go through life and then you have these conversations or these events that occur. And it just made me, you know, sort of wake up out of this ignorant, arrogant state and go, you know what? She's right. Like, I, I don't know and I don't understand. Yeah. And so it kind of sent me on a mission to figure this out. And um, I went and learned everything I possibly could about female metabolism. And then, of course, I studied was studying biochemistry at the time and I went into medical school. And one of the things, Laura, you might not be aware, and I don't know that many of the women are, but it wasn't until 2001, actually, that a lot of the regulating bodies and research institutes that hand down sort of the recommendations in terms of research that they actually saw that there was a big issue in the research community in not having females represented appropriately hmm. compared to men and especially more mature women. It was dominated by the health and fitness research was dominated by young college age men. And so um, I was one of the first ones sort of looking at this research because I kind of got religion from, you know, the women that I was working with and I figured, figured some things out and I started to develop a, and started writing books. And I was one of the only ones doing that. So in a very weird turn of events, uh, because I became conscientious and aware, yeah. I became one of the experts in female metabolism, which is, you know, still interesting and funny to me to this day. Yeah, yeah. I, I could only imagine that a whole world opened up to you that mm. you were like, whoa, I had, I really had no idea. I didn't know, you know, it must have been quite um, enlightening. Yeah, well, you know, it just just very quickly think about it, right? For for men, we have you know puberty, and then we have andropause, right? So we we get our testosterone, and then later on, we get our testosterone taken away, like and, and towards the end of our lives. Women are going through this since the time they hit puberty. They are acutely aware that hormones are influencing sleep, hunger, mood, energy, cravings, exercise performance, exercise recovery, all of these things, they know that hormones are impacting us. And then the whole world, the whole male world is saying it makes no difference. And of course, it absolutely does. And so there's a whole science um, behind that that I've written on extensively. And it's, um, you know, kind of changed everything um, for me understanding that. And it also helps me relate to um, women much, much better in a romantic sense, but even as friends. And to this day, most of my close friends, even non-romantically are women, um, partly yeah. because of the work that I've done in this realm. So it served, it served me well. And it also helped me with my mother when she went through menopause, by the way, mm. which was, you know, sort of my mom is my best friend and just, you know, we're very, very close. And 
uh, it was an amazing thing to be able to give back my understanding to my mother when she went through um, the menopausal transition too. Oh my God, that must have been a huge resource and blessing for her to have you with all of your knowledge to be able to help, you know, just guide her and and inform her and all you know all that goes along with going through that transition. Yeah, well, it was I'm, lucky for me for sure, you know, to be able to give back to my mom. How many how many of us get to do that in that way, right? So it was fun. Yeah, I think it's pretty rare, <laughs> Dr. Tita. I think it's pretty rare. Um, I think there are probably thousands of women out there that are going, oh, thank God that you, thank <laughs> God you did what you did. And maybe you should like have classes teaching guys <laughs> about how to, you know, learn what you learned. Um, being able to relate, you know, just men and women in general, being able to relate. I mean, there's a lot that goes on with that. And I, I had um, Dr. John Gray on a couple of months ago. Yeah, he's and wonderful. He's awesome. Yeah. And you know, you don't realize until you talk to somebody that really understands the effects of hormones on just your your moods and communications with each other. You know, if you are living with a uh, you know, the opposite sex under your roof, whether you're, you know, married or just living together or you have a grown, you know, son or whatever. Um, but everyone's hormone levels are affecting the other person's hormone levels even. It's really, really, I mean, we could, we could go deep into this and, and obviously we won't because we're going to talk about your book, but it's pretty fascinating. There's, there's more than meets the eye to this. It's so much deeper than most people realize or give it credit for. So... Anyway, okay, on to 365, human 365. So tell me, um, well, I guess the, the obvious first question is what, what made you go, I think I'm going to write a book uh, and I'm going to call it human 365. Why, why that? Yeah, well, you know, just, just like in life, we were talking about this sort of before we came on live, but in life, certain things happen to us, right? As humans, we're kind of, uh, we are unique. In a sense, uh, there will never be another Lori um, again in the world ever, nor has there ever been a Lori like you in the world. Same with me. There will never be another Jade and there never has been a Jade. And then we go through these uh, sort of events, like just like the one I told you, where I run into this particular woman right. who speaks her truth and wakes me up to sort of um, a new reality. So I've had several of these events in my life. And one of the things that uh, when I went through my first breakup, I've always been a kid, by the way, even when I was young, I've always been someone who was fascinated with um, how we as humans socialize and why certain teachers were liked and certain weren't and why certain kids were not liked and picked on and teased and why others were left alone, why people, some were quiet and why some weren't. I was always sort of watching and studying this. And I also, from a young man was also, or a kid even, I, I found myself oftentimes sitting with people. Like I remember this one episode at the lunch table where there was this kid who was very upset and crying. Something must've been going on at um, home and actually wasn't crying, but somehow I picked up that there was something wrong with this kid and went and sat um, with them and talked to them. And so for me, there's always been this thing about being able to um, look at individuals and uh, want to speak to them and um, soothe their pain in a sense. And I was sought out for this uh, even when I was young. But when I went through my first 
breakup, I really uh, started to scramble to figure out why I was so attached to this person, why I was so hurt, why did I do the things that I had done? And I really got into self-development and self-help. So I read all of that stuff since the time I was 18. I minored in psychology mm-hmm. in undergrad. And it was just always a big, a, a big thing for me. And I also probably have every coaching certification that existed between the, the ages, the 1995 up to like 2005. I mean, I just was yeah. so immersed in this stuff. And even in medical school, I, um, in my particular curriculum, we had a counseling department. And so I took extra courses, extra electives in counseling specifically couples counseling. And so it was really uh, important to me and part of my work to understand uh, individuals. And then as I was going through my life, sort of building a business, got married, all this kind of stuff, I ran into uh, my own sort of dark side sort of head on. I ended up having an affair, fell in love with another woman, went through divorce, went through a very messy sort of um, what I would call a lot of people call it a midlife crisis. I now call it a midlife awakening. At that point in time, when I had this sort of midlife awakening is when I got to the point where I was like, you know, I had all the skills. I had been studying this stuff since 18 years old. I had taken psychology. I had done couples counseling. I had done all this life coaching. I had worked with people who were going through stuff. And still, after knowing everything I knew, I still uh, made all the mistakes and made all the messes. And, and at that point, I was like, you know what, I think it is time for me to really sort of understand this. And I figured some things out about myself in that process. And it really turned me into kind of looking at, you know, I think I'm, I'm, I'm a little tired of making people obsess about health and fitness. I think what's behind that is something a little bit deeper. And I want to start speaking uh, to that because when you go through something, and I think you could probably relate to this, Lori, and everyone listening can relate to this. When you go through the painful things in life, pain is, uh, is a very unique thing. It A lot of people want to avoid it, right? We don't want to suffer. We don't want pain. But Oftentimes when we look back, pain is almost like that book that you open up and you didn't know you needed to read. And once you read it, you're just like changes everything. Well, Mm -hmm. pain is a lot like that. And my experience was like that. It woke me up to something that I would never have realized otherwise, this pain. And I went to search and uh, heal and help people who were dealing with that same pain. That Mm -hmm. became sort of my mission. And that meant that I was going to begin to do my other expertise, which was self-development, which I just didn't, wasn't doing in the way that um, I wanted to. So I started writing books and Human 365 is one of those books. And I'll say one more thing about that before I, before I shut up here. But one of the things that I believe that came out of this, um, and we'll see what all everyone listening thinks about this, and I'd be interested in what you think, Lori. One of the things that I believe now is that you, you and me, right? So Lori and Jade and everyone listening, we are what I would call a unique spiritual fingerprint, right? Like there's, there's no one like you, Lori. There's no one like you. There never has. And you have a unique, you know, a contribution from people who helped you and people who hurt you. You have unique interests. You have unique superpowers and signature strengths. You have a unique personality, which includes your unique perspective and perceptions, the way you see the world. And you have unique pain that makes you, you. 
And at that point, what most people do is they think that purpose is something that you kind of find, but I think actually purpose is something you choose out of this understanding of these elements that influence you. Mm -hmm. And so for me, what I did was essentially say, this is a unique aspect of me, something that I can speak to and something that uh, when I'm speaking it, there's certain people who can hear it from me who couldn't hear it from Lori and vice versa. There's right. people who, I, me and Lori could be teaching the exact same thing. And I know that we, we do, you obviously do some of this as well, but some people are gonna wanna hear it from you because they're not gonna wanna hear it from some big burly linebacker looking guy. And then other people are wanting, gonna wanna yeah. hear it from me. And I see it as almost my duty now mm-hmm. to, um, get out there and speak the things that I know to help people avoid some of the pain that I endured. And that's where my self-development work sort of takes off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. And I, the, the, a couple things, the, the midlife crisis um, phrase, I, I think that's interesting too. Um, I've known quite a few people that have found themselves going through that transition. It's almost like, I like to almost say it's midlife chaos because to me, chaos is kind of that, it's that, that place you find yourself in that is going to create the, the next evolution of what's to come for you. Mm -hmm. You have to have some sort of a breakdown of the old, right? In order for something new to come in and take its place. And so, you know, call it a crisis, call it chaos, but yeah, a lot of times it's that the pain of that mess is what catapults you or gives you the opportunity to move into that next, you know, version of whatever is, you know, you're going to be or your life is going to be. Um, and, you know, you, I know you talk a, a lot about pain um, in your book, and we're going to get into that a little bit more, because um, I do think it's so important. And I think that there are, there are, there are those people that just, they experience pain, and they just get used up, they just get, you know, chewed up and spit out by it. And then there are people that understand how to use the pain. So you're either going to be used by it or you're going to use it. And, you know, two very, very different approaches to what you're experiencing. And we're going to get into that more because you do talk like uh, throughout most of the book, pain is a very, um, it's a, it's a very uh, fundamental part of what you're trying to teach and how you're trying to teach here. Because every you have to, everyone, everyone is going through, has been, is now, or will be going through some version of pain in their life. So if you can't um, get a grip on how to use that as a tool for yourself, you just, you become a victim. Yeah, you know, to me, I look at it like this, right? I mean, uh, there are two certainties in life. It is change and death. That's it. And, and with those, that change is, is pain. And actually the Buddhist, which I, you know, I, I love philosophy. So I read a ton in Taoism, Stoicism, Buddhism. But one of the things the, the Buddhists say is life is dukkha and dukkha translates into life is suffering. And so in a sense, that seems kind of morbid to a lot of people, right? It's not something that, that people really want to think about. But if you understand that life is suffering, meaning that we humans, if, if you kind of imagine we're stuck in a video game, there's certain levels that we have to cross. We will love and we will be rejected and betrayed. We will have to go through illness. We will have to lose people we love. It's just the nature of things. Things 
change. So you can either try to resist that and suffer more, or you can choose ahead of time what you will suffer for. What will you decide is worth fighting for, bleeding for, scarring for, and even dying for? And in a sense, this to me is what I think most people miss when they think about their lives. Because in my way of looking at it, there's, there's four main things that we humans can pursue. We can pursue power, we can pursue pleasure, we can pursue popularity, or we can pursue purpose. What happens for most people is they pursue power because they think it keeps them safe. They pursue popularity because they crave status. They pursue pleasure because it distracts them from all the suffering. And all of that is, it's not a wrong thing. There's no judgment here. But if we don't pursue purpose or never understand what our purpose is, that is the true way that we actually escape from suffering. And it doesn't take the pain away, by the way, but what it does is it gives the pain purpose. So to me, pain is a path to purpose. Without mm -hmm. pain, we would never actually realize our purpose. And so here's the thing that I think all of us who are engaged in this conversation right now need to realize. Think about how many people you know who were abused as a kid or how many people you know who went through divorce or how many people you know who lost a loved one. And then think about how many of those people went left and were degraded by it and it became yeah. nastier, sadder, depressed versions of their former selves. And then mm -hmm. think about how many people went right and actually grew as a result of it and became better, more loving, more generous, more kind humans as a result. The ones who made the right hand turn, who made a choice to turn their pain into something good and beautiful are the ones who achieve what we really all want, which is fulfillment, not happiness. What we're really chasing as humans is fulfillment, that state of being in a place where I set out to do something that only I can do and I'm proud that I did. Isn't that mm -hmm. what we want at the end of our lives when we're on our deathbed? In the end, we want to be proud of the lives that we live. And the only way to do that in my mind is to overcome pain and turn it into something beautiful. And that is ultimately our charge as humans. To the degree that you're doing that is a degree to which you will be fulfilled and proud of who you are as a human being. Mm -hmm. To the degree that you're not doing that is the degree that you will stay degraded and blame and complain and whimper and whine and suffer further. Well said. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and I think that, you know, I see a lot of um, how those uh, those four things are integrated really with the six human needs and they all they're all kind of part of that i mean status is you know significance and purpose could really be your your growth and contribution um which the cool thing about that is if you find your purpose and you find um you're able to to embrace it and experience it to do it whatever it is um that aspect, um, being able to do that actually then allows you to find the 
positive vehicles to fulfill the other things, a positive way to experience power or significance, a positive vehicle to experience um, pleasure or which would be like variety, you know, so it, it does give you the the path, the momentum, the awareness to figure out how to how to um, check all those boxes, because we all have all these needs that we are striving to fulfill. We're either just doing it in ways that are serving us and others well, or we're doing it in ways that that aren't that are negative, but the boxes are getting checked. And you know, for some people, um, uh, some of those things are more important than others. So I, I love your talk about um, about purpose and meaning. And I think we'll get into that a little bit more too. I've heard you talk a lot about that. And I think it's important to, um, to distinguish um, for people between the two, because a lot of people are just like, I don't get it. I, I don't know how to find that. I don't know what that is. I just know I have to, you know, be able to pay my mortgage. And especially right now, you know, people are in a, a, a crazy state of fear and uncertainty. So it's just exponentially worse than normal times, shall we say. Um, okay, so so uh, we talked about the four jobs. That was one of my questions. Um, let's talk about the six key areas that we as humans, um, according to being a, becoming a human 365, what are those six areas that we should strive to master? Well, um, just real quick, the four, the four jobs are a little bit different than the four drives, right? So the four jobs of every human. Uh, I, you know, we have we have jobs that we must do as humans. So mm -hmm. let, let's cover that. And then let's cover the six powers, because okay. both of these are really important to understand. So the four jobs basically are the jobs that we humans have to do. Right. We can't get away from doing. Them. So one is finance. We each must earn and manage money. We have to make a living. So I know a lot of people don't love this idea. But the bottom line is, is that even if you're on the street, you have got to earn and manage a living, right? You got to find food. You got to find shelter, procure yeah. that stuff. That's yeah. the first thing we all must do. The second thing is health and fitness. We have to attain and maintain our health and fitness. If we're not healthy, we can do nothing else. The next is personal relationships, right? We have to give and receive love and manage other human beings. And the final one is what we were talking about, purpose and meaning. We have to um, we have the drive to matter and make a difference. So these four jobs are basically, if you, you asked me, um, you know, what jade do I have to focus on? I would say these four things. And by the way, other humans evaluate all of us in how well we're doing our four jobs, right? We evaluate ourselves this way and they evaluate us this way. Now, in pursuit of that, right, one of the things that I became obsessed with is why do some people you know, who go through pain and suffering or have setbacks, why do they make it? Why do the successful individuals, um, how, how and why do they succeed versus everyone else? And this comes down to the idea of what I call the six powers. And to me, this is the roadmap that each of us humans must follow in pursuit of any of these four jobs that we want to master. Like if you're sitting here listening to Lori and I, and you're you're essentially saying, you know, my big thing is I want to make money and, you know, I want to um, uh, build a business or I want to, you know, lose weight and become healthy. You have got to walk these six powers that I'm going to go through. You must master each of the, these. But more important, this is the path to purpose. 
And so from my perspective, these six powers are ultimately how you understand who you are and who you could become, because that's ultimately the battle that we are fighting, right? We want to know, I want to know who is Jade, you know, at his core and who is his best self, right? I have to be honest with who I am. I have to be honest about my lying, cheating ways of the old Jade in order for me to get to where I need to get, um, you know, now and where I want to go and who I right. become. So it's easy to remember for all of you listening, just remember the acronym powers. These six powers go by the acronym powers. The P is perception. So here's an interesting thing about this. We each have a way. Remember, I was talking with you, Lori, about saying, you know, you have a unique personality, which is made up of your perspective and perception, the way you see the world. Well, we each have these seed stories in our heads. By seed stories, I mean these stories that we as children started to believe, either because um, of uh, our parental influence or because of, you know, um, older adults at the time, mainly our caretakers, but we had these seed stories. Is the world safe or is it dangerous? Is, am I worthy or am I unworthy? You know, all these sort of stories that come up and these stories shade everything as we move forward in life. And so the first idea here is to get very clear uh, and honest about who I am and who I could, could be. This is the perception, getting through these stories. And a simple example is would be this. Imagine you were going through life, right, as an adult believing in Santa Claus. You just never, ever lost that belief. You never questioned it. You believed that Santa Claus was real. As a matter of fact, everything you did was about trying to please Santa Claus so you could get, you know, Christmas gifts, let's say. But you never get the gifts. So you start thinking you're a bad human being because you believe in this, you know, imaginary fictional Santa Claus. Now imagine that there are so many other stories like that, that we believe that we keep believing that are not serving us as we move forward. For example, for me, one of the perceptions I had to break was the dumb jock perception. Mm -hmm. I had to break through that I was just this dumb, you know, big football player who was not good in anything but physical pursuits. Had I not broken through that, I never would be sitting here talking to all of you about intellectual pursuits. And so we must master this perception piece. By the way, the biggest thing here is the perception about pain. And so I want to walk you through just a little anecdote really quickly, if I can. I've used this before, but it's very powerful and it's kind of comical as well. But here's the idea behind pain that we talked about. We must break our perceptions around pain. Now, the way that I teach this is I essentially say, imagine that we were all, all of us listening, we were all in the kitchen cutting vegetables, okay? And so we're cutting vegetables and my knife slips and cuts my finger or your knife slips and cuts your finger. What are we going to do with that pain? Well, if we are a rational, reasonable, reasonable human, we're immediately going to stop what we're doing, cover that wound, Immediately, we're going to cover and pay attention to it. Then we're going to begin to inspect it. How bad is it? Is it deep? How much is it bleeding? What do I need to do? Do I need to take care of it here? Wash it? Do I need to go get stitches? Right? And then next, and then I'm going to be gingerly with that for the next several weeks as that heals. I'm going to let it heal. I might put ointment on it. I'm going to take care of this wound. Now, if I'm smart, what I'm going to do next time I'm cutting vegetables, or if you're smart, you're going to 
be a little bit more careful. Right. Or if you're really smart, you're going to pick up a cooking book and learn how to chop vegetables appropriately in the right technique. Maybe you'll watch a couple YouTube videos. This is the way that we deal with physical pain. It, it's a teacher, right? Same thing. If we break a leg, we don't just keep walking on the leg. We get off the leg. We right. go get it mended, et cetera. Now, we do not do this with mental emotional pain, and it's a problem. Here's what we do with mental emotional pain. I cut my finger. I run up to Lori. I shove my finger in her face, and I start just screaming, ow, 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 as loud as I can, mad at her, expecting her to take care of my thumb, to bandage it for me, to do something about it. That's yeah. one way we handle emotional pain. Another way we handle is we just sit there and stare at the thumb and cry and whimper and whine and let it bleed all over the place. And the no. third way we handle it is we just stick it behind our back and decide nothing happened. I'm fine. I don't need that hand. I don't need that arm. I don't need to use them ever again. This is what we do with mental emotional pain. So in the first of these six powers, perception, what we need to first do is look at pain in the same way we look at physical pain. We need to look at mental emotional pain and say, yes, that hurt. Yes, it's devastated. Yes, I'm, I'm um, you know, sort of uh, struggling with this. But how do I get better? How do I heal it? How do I mend it? But most importantly, how do I learn from it? Mm -hmm. And so I have to learn something from it. What I learned from my pain, one of my big pains was I was dishonest. I was not an honest human being. That was a key insight. And by the way, here's how you know, because there's all this talk about toxicity and toxic humans and this and that, right? Well, mm -hmm. how do we know that we're not the toxic ones? Right. Here's how you know. If it's a repeated emotion, then it's you. If it's a repeated pattern, then you're the toxic one. If it's a recurrent obstacle, then you are the toxic one. And so perception is the most important one. And the reason I'm harping on it here is because if we don't, as human beings, see very clearly our pain and our problems, we can never own those things and never get better. And so perception is all about saying, what am I doing that is causing my life? What stories am I believing that are uh, influencing my life and how do I need to change those stories? Mm -hmm. Now, from there, perception moves into ownership. Once we can see clearly, then we can own our dysfunctions. Then we can decide very clearly, I will not be that way anymore. I will now be this way. I call it an honor code. It's basically deciding who Lori is going to be, who Jade is going to be how I use my pain and decide I am going to be X, Y, Z. And for me, it was like, I am going to make honesty my religion. I was already good with kindness. I was already good with generosity. I was already these things, but honesty was a dysfunction of mine. So mm -hmm. I decided I am going to be different. I'm going to show up with honesty as my religion. So That's the ownership part. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's tied right in with then taking personal responsibility um, and really um, getting clear on your personal value system, right? Your personal constitution. And so for you, wow, it sounds like honesty was one of those things that was missing from your personal constitution. Um, yeah, I, I see. I, the perception part, I think, is super interesting, too, because if you you've got to be able and you've got to be willing 
you have to be willing to see things, to see yourself and the role you play, uh, the stories, the beliefs you have. Um, you have to be willing to take a much higher, broader view of those things. And I think um, I think it's hard for people to be to take the responsibility to go. Maybe I've been believing things that aren't true. Maybe I have been not taking responsibility for things that I should be taking responsibility for. Unless you do that, um, you can't you can't make any changes. You don't have the freedom to make the changes because the freedom only comes with taking responsibility, mm. and that's only going to come with right getting a broader perspective, taking ownership of things. So I see how that all that all plays together. It all ties into being able to move through these. And it goes back to the power, pleasure, popularity mm. versus purpose thing. If you are someone and you could tell right away where someone's coming from, if they're chasing power and popularity, they cannot tell they cannot say I'm wrong. Right. We see this in politics all the time. Mm -hmm. We see people stick by their, you know, whatever the whoever their politician is despite, and, and this isn't a comment, this is just a comment either side. Yep. They, once they choose a side, that person can lie, that person can cheat, that person can do anything they want. And typically most humans will not change their mind because they will not master perception and ownership. A next level human says, wait, I have an honor code. I may have chosen you previously, but you, but I will not stand by you now because you are dishonest. You've done X, Y, and Z, and I will not do that. And I was wrong. They have no problem saying I was wrong. Whereas a base level human who chases primarily power will never relinquish or say they are wrong, right? And a culture level human will only stick by their team. They won't change unless everyone else changes. Then they'll be, they're like, okay, well, everyone's going this direction. So maybe yeah. I'll change. A next level human operates from the sense of, here's what I stand for. And I have no problem admitting I'm wrong. Now, here's what's interesting, though. Once you master perception and ownership, you got a big problem. And this is this is the idea here. Once I decide I want to um, own my honesty issue, or maybe I decide I want to teach or be a healer or whatever I choose to do, what happens is a big gap. Guess what? Wisdom is next. So P-O-W, wisdom comes next. Because once you own something and you decide I'm going to be this, well, guess what happens? You don't know how to be that yet for the most part. If you've been living an old story, you mm -hmm. want to live a new story. It's very difficult to understand how to live that story. And this is where wisdom comes in. You must learn. You got to find people. You got to listen to podcasts like this. You got to read books. You got to um, get the skills. Maybe it's a degree, whatever it is, you have to know that I know nothing. I know very little. And so if I want to be this thing, I have got to master wisdom. So wisdom is the idea of, I don't know. I'm, I want to know, and I'm willing to learn and realize I am a growth oriented human. So again, a next level human is all about growth. A yeah. base level human is all about safety. It's why they seek power. A culture level human is all about team and winning, which is why they, they seek um, popularity. So you can tap into whether you're a next level human or on that next level human path if you're just like, I want to grow. 
All right. Well, that is all the time we have for today, everyone. So I would like to invite you to join us next week for part two of this fantastic interview with Dr. Jade Tita. So meanwhile, make sure to subscribe if you haven't already. Leave us a rating and a review so that others are inspired to listen to the show and hear all of the great shift being shared here. Until next week, stay feisty, my friends. Stay healthy and go make some epic shift happen in your lives. You too, Gary Vee.